Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. everyone. So we're starting here right off the bat with Hebrews 5. Um, if you haven't been watch or listening to a lot of these, um, just understand that this whole thing is to glorify Jesus. Everything, uh, I mean, everything in the whole Word of God, but in particular in the book of Hebrews, is how do we lift up Him above everything else in this huge promise, uh, or lots of promises. It's like if you do that, kind of here's what will happen. And also, if you don't, Here's what will happen. And a lot of it starts with really stern warnings about, or we're going to get into some pretty stern warnings about what happens if you don't lift him up. In other words, if you don't just have Jesus as your everything, basically your high priest, your the sacrifice, the God, fully man, all of that. He's basically like, this is, he's going to get into some, some stuff that's a little scary, but, um, and we'll talk about why and, and, and what he's really saying. But just understand, this is all about people that wanted to kind of mix Jesus with something else. So they're like, they were they were cool with Jesus, but they were they also wanted to do all of their Jewish sacrifices, all of the Jewish law and customs that they believed, you know, made them holy or made them right before God. So they were cool with Jesus as long as they could sort of just throw him into the mix, like chuck him into the pot. And the writer of Hebrews is making the case from second one that Jesus is like none of that, that Jesus is God and he's fully man. And he's going to begin to talk in this chapter about how he's also the high priest. And it's it's way, way cool. So let's just jump right in again to like digging into the word of God and getting this inside of us and having this work itself around that unleashes us and frees us. To not just believe correctly, but actually live in the depths of the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is all-encompassing and completely transformative at every level. So Hebrews 5.1, let's just jump right into this, says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So just so you know, um, basically every, the, the high, well, let me get into that in a second here, but um, the, basically the way the Old Testament system worked is that every high priest is not appointed by men, but actually appointed from God. So just so that you know, every priest um, came from Jacob or who, whose name was original or changed to Israel. And then Israel had some kids, um, and <laughs> then he had 12, if you'll remember this, and that's where all the tribes come from. And then one of those tribes was Levi. So I- Israel had a son named Levi, and then out of Levi came a tribe. Now Levi had three sons, Gershon, Koath, and Merari. So just so you know, so basically what you have is one tribe out of the 12 was allowed to enter into some level of priestly devotion before Israel. So um, then only certain could enter in. So anyway, so when Levi, who had the tribe of Levi, within the tribe of Levi, there's actually three separate categories, Gershon, Koath, and Merari. So you have these three separate 
sort of groups like within Levi and each of those separate groups, those separate descendants of either Gershon, Kohath and Merari, who again are sons of Levi, had different um, responsibilities like within the temple. So, for instance, Gershon had to take care of the veil. Um, Koath was like the interior decorator. So <laughs> Koath was like supposed to take care of the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, the lampstand, stuff like that. And then Merari, I always thought of as kind of like the carpenter. He's supposed to take care of like the boards and the pillars of the tabernacle. So, but only the descendants of Aaron, which is basically Koath's family within the tribe of Levi, could actually really be priests in terms of offering sacrifices. So other members of the tribe of Levi could do various things to like take care of the temple or take care of, you know, sort of the priestly um, realm, but only the descendants of Aaron could really offer priests or be the high priest. And for that, you not only needed to be a descendant of Levi, you needed to be a descendant of Aaron or a member of Koas, or essentially what would be a member of Koas's family. So then the high priest would typically be the eldest son of Aaron, um, again, unless they disqualified themselves. So when he says, for every high priest taken from among men is a point, for every high priest taken from among men, is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. What he's saying is like that men you know, didn't vote on who gets to be high priest. Like, so basically what he's saying is God chose the high priest a long time ago, meaning you had to be part of Levi, descendant of Aaron, those kinds of things. So God decided that, not men. Um, then he says, verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weaknesses. In other words, the high priest, as it worked under the old covenant, could also deal gently with ignorant or people who didn't know or understand, misguided, since he himself is also beset with weaknesses. So in other words, he's saying like the high priest that offered the sacrifices for sins and also just offerings to God would also have been had been able to deal gently with other people who didn't know and other people who were screwed up essentially because he screwed up too so that's basically what he's saying is like this high priest is screwed up so he can have be gentle and you know show gentleness toward other people because he's just as screwed up as they are essentially is what he's saying and verse three and because of it he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, and so also for himself. And because of it, meaning because he's also gigantically screwed up, just as screwed up as all the other people, he is obligated to offer sins not just for other people, but also for himself. So just so you know, in the book of Hebrews, right, we're entering into a time where the brighter of Hebrews is going to say, Jesus is actually our high priest. And in order to get them to understand that, because they're Jews, he's referencing what they would understand and be familiar with, which is how the high priesthood kind of worked in, Ju in Judaism. And so he's trying to say, look, this is, in, in your understanding, you get that the high priest as we have them now is also screwed up and he got to offer sacrifices both for people and for himself. And then he says, verse four, and no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So in other words, like no one can, can take honor to himself or be like, hey, I earned this or somehow people voted me in. Um, but he just can receive the honor because he's called by God, just like Aaron was. That's, that's the point he's making. And so in verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, 
but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So in other words, he's saying even Jesus didn't glorify himself to become a high priest, but in fact, God is the one who said, you're my son, today I have begotten you. In other words, Jesus also didn't glorify himself, but was chosen by God to be the ultimate high priest. In verse 6, just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not going to get into the order of Melchizedek in this chapter because that's like more rightly unpacked in chapter 7. But just so you know, he's talking about you know, the priesthood that lasts forever essentially is Melchizedek because there's no beginning and no end to Melchizedek's priesthood in the Old the old covenant. He's saying the same thing about Jesus. There's no beginning and no end and that that was declared by God, not by men. Now, verse seven, in the days of his flesh, meaning when Jesus physically walked here on the earth, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. That's an interesting phrase. So basically what he's saying is when Jesus was a man, he offered up prayers. If you don't know what a supplication is, just uh, the word for supplication is hikataria in the Greek. And hikataria literally means an olive branch wrapped in wool. Like that's what a supplication is. So you might think like, what the heck? Like a supplication is an olive branch wrapped in wool? Like what is that about? Um, Well, and just so you know, an ancient Greek worshiper would have waved one of these to express their great need and desire like before God. So they'd be waving around like an olive branch wrapped in wool to say, I am so in need of you, God. Um, So the interesting thing here is he said he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. And, you know, Jesus Christ became the wool on the olive branch, which is just powerful. He became the lamb. But anyways, so he's saying he so even Jesus offered prayers and supplications, meaning his great desires before the Lord with loud crying and tears. So this is Jesus right in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Lord, please take this cup from me. Like That's what he's talking about. Lord, please take this cup from me. I do not want to do this. You know, this is what's about to happen is going to be the most horrible and painful, awful thing I could possibly imagine. So he's just crying out. It's interesting. He says, um, and he was heard because of his piety. We think of heard prayers as like God did what we wanted, but that isn't what occurred in the sense that like Jesus wanted the cup to pass, but he says, not your will. I'm sorry, not my will, but yours be done. And so it's, I don't know, that's such a powerful thing to me because he's like, look, I didn't, not my will, but yours be done. It says that he was heard because of that, meaning the father heard him and took in everything he was saying. And what he was saying was not my will, but yours be done. And so that's what ultimately occurred because that's what ultimately burned in Jesus more than avoiding the pain, more than not wanting to go through this horrendous death. But what burned in him more was your will over my will. And I want to tell everyone listening to this podcast right now and this teaching, if you get that in your heart, you will be a world changer. And I want to tell you, this is not easy to get into your heart. (laughs) It is not easy to get into your heart. A real, true, a hundred percent, not my will, but yours be done. I mean, that is, I think, one of the hardest things we can legitimately pray and that we can legitimately mean. Because it's like, what? Like, this is him saying, like, whatever pain 
that I have to go through that I is the worst thing I could possibly imagine. I just want your will. I mean, I want to be there. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be there. I want to be in that place. And that's where Jesus was. Anyways, let's move on. That just blows my mind. Uh, verse 8, although he was a son, now this is interesting too, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now, I've heard people say things like, the only way to learn obedience is through suffering. I'm like, okay, no, that's not true. And that's not what this scripture actually says either. He's just saying this, that you know, as God, God would never need to learn obedience in the sense of he would never experience obedience because God doesn't have to be and isn't obedient to anybody. Like everyone has to be obedient to him. But he's saying the son, because he became a man, he actually learned obedience, meaning he experienced obedience from the things which he suffered, meaning sometimes the only way like you learn obedience or experience obedience is actually going through something that you don't want to go through. And you're doing it because you love God and you're trying to be obedient to him. And in this way, you actually experience obedience. So it's not the only way, but it is a way. And it's the way Jesus learned obedience is literally through that which he suffered, like going through something that was God's will, that was awful. He learned obedience. And I just want you guys to know not, that sometimes God's going to ask you to do things and you're going to be like, oh, and, and you're going to do them because it's his will and you know it's him and you hear his heart and you'll suffer. But something will happen inside about you're actually experiencing obedience. And that's an incredibly powerful thing. But don't think suffering is what makes you learn. Like that's just not the case at all. It's obedience that makes you learn. Obedience that leads to massive breakthrough and awesome things or obedience that may lead to suffering. In any case, it's the obedience that he is learning. He learned obedience, not suffering. So I just want you guys to understand, people tend to elevate suffering to weird levels in some circles, and I never like that. So I just want you guys to know that what the powerful point he's making here, it's, it's obedience that you learn. And obedience is powerful. And again, you can learn obedience by doing what he told you to do, and you're like, wow, this worked out amazing, or doing what he told you to do, and it's like, wow, this worked out disastrously. But in each case, you were obedient. Verse 9 Here's another one. And having been made perfect. See, here's people take this and rip it out and make all kinds of weird theologies about it. So when it says, and having been made perfect, I want you guys to understand people go, oh, see, Jesus wasn't perfect. It's like, well, no, he wasn't. But yes, he was. In other words, he doesn't mean, again, when you read perfect in the scripture, it's teleos, or most of the time, it's uh, the word teleos. And I want you to understand in Greek, this does not mean perfect without flaw, like we would think of perfection necessarily. Usually perfect, if you're perfect, it means doing the fullness of that which you are for. So I want all of you to understand that, that perfection is, is, and of course in Jesus' case, he actually was perfect in the sense that he had no flaw and committed no sin. But that isn't always what perfection means. It simply means you're, you are you are walking in or doing that which you are for or also which is called maturity. When you're walking in that which you were made to walk in, walking in that which you are for. So it's not Jesus was imperfect and he somehow was made perfect like by suffering. If you're, if that is not what this is saying at all. And I hope you're seeing that. Like he learned obedience 
from the things he suffered. In other words, he was obedient. He was obedient to what the Lord said, suffered because of his obedience. And sometimes that's how you learn obedience is because you suffered for it. And having been made perfect, meaning he did what he was for. So I hope you guys understand that's what the writer is saying. Having It wasn't like Jesus was imperfect and he needed suffering to make him perfect. Like that wasn't it at all. It was that he was obedient in every way, which made him perfect, meaning that he did what he was for, right? He perfectly executed what he was for. And that's having been made perfect, is simply accomplishing that for which he was sent. So I hope you can see that. And he says, he became to, because he was made perfect by doing everything that he was for, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Wow. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And I know some people also read into this and go, oh, see, um, you have to obey him or you won't be saved. And again, it's not an issue of obeying him at every single level, which the Bible says makes abundantly clear, like you get salvation through faith alone, not according to works that any man should boast. Apostle Paul is very clear about this on numerous instances. He's simply saying he became to all those who obey him, obey him in belief, obey him to come to him. Like that's what it means by obey, not do every single thing he says perfectly because no one does. He says the source of eternal salvation being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, now he's trying to tell us he is the high priest, and he'll expand on that in the chapter after the next one. Chapter 6 is going to be interesting. We'll hit that up next week, and that has some really tough and interesting things to talk through, so we'll get to that. But verse 11, concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. (laughs) There's a reason these people have become dull of hearing. And I want to let you know, they, they've become dull of hearing because they're mixing in works with faith. That's exactly what's happening to the Hebrews. They are saying, well, we kind of believe in Jesus, but we're still going to mix all of our Jewish works in with that and make this weird sort of hybridized version of Christianity, which, by the way, is what we have almost exclusively in America today, is we don't have an unadulterated gospel piercing every heart, radically changing every life, and unleashing people to live a transformed existence which transforms the world. We don't almost ever ever have that. We have a weird presentation and acceptance of some hybridized gospel that kind of mixes the old covenant in with the new. And it's like we say salvation by faith, but we don't really mean that. Then we mean like, then you have to work. It's almost like we tell them you're saved by faith. Then you have to work a ton to stay saved. It's like this really bizarre sort of understanding of things. And what he's saying is they've become dull of hearing because of that. So I want want you guys to understand, a lot of people who have a hard time hearing God, a lot of times it's because you have doled down his sacrifice and elevated your works. You've actually doled down his love and his sacrifice and elevated your works. And it's, I just, I want to tell you guys right now, please do not do that. Like stay with the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, which he's going to get into in later chapters as well. But that's how he said they're dull of hearing. It's actually harder to hear God the more you think your brokenness is too big for him or your works are what's causing anything good in you. So I want you to understand that all the perfection comes from Jesus. And anytime you introduce either one of those thoughts, it becomes harder to hear God. 
because he goes, for, for though by this time, verse 12, you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. In other words, so you guys have gotten off the base, pure, simple gospel, which is salvation, holiness, everything, by faith in Christ Jesus. And again, does this mean you don't work? No, it means you work a billion times harder than anyone ever has in the history of the world because you don't have to. That, but what happens is we tell people that you have to work to get this, you have to do that to get this, you have to push this button, pray this phrase, pray it in this way in order to get God to move and do something. And it is basically what happens is it's like now we can't build anything on that because now we have to go back because your hearts are going to start getting hard and we're going to have to teach you milk again. And what I'm saying right now is in America, going forward, we're going to need an actual proclamation of the milk of the simple and pure unadulterated gospel so we can move to the solid food. And the milk is going to sound like solid food to people because it's going to be something they've never even had before. So then he says, verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So what he's saying is this, like, for everyone who partakes only of milk. So in other words, to partake only of milk would be only to understand and have the revelation that your righteousness and holiness comes 100% from God. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained. So in other words, what he's saying is the uh, the everyone who partakes only of milk. So if, if all you do is have the revelation that your holiness just comes from your faith and, and love for Jesus, but then you never actually walk in any of that holiness, you remain an infant. That's what he's saying. He said, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice. So, but he's saying, if you are walking in the righteousness that Jesus caused you to be, then you can actually receive solid food, which takes you into greater revelation and deeper places and starting with you're actually able to discern what's good and what's evil. And right now we have a need for discernment in the body of Christ more than we ever have before. But we're still dealing with this hybridized weird gospel that isn't true and we're going to have to teach people the milk but right then they're going to have to start walking in righteousness, not because they're earning anything or becoming holy or any of that, but because it's who they are in Christ. And it's their natural response of thankfulness to a giving father who made them 100% whole. All they're going to want to do is honor him with every action, every thought and every feeling. And as you walk in that, the writer of Hebrews says you're going to be mature and now you actually get to get solid food. And I am so excited about the solid food that's coming. So. Um, anyway, I love you guys. We're going to hit up uh, tomorrow. Actually, we'll hit up Hebrews chapter six. And there's some really difficult and, and awesome stuff wrapped up in that. So I will I will talk to you guys very soon. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the father's love poured out through his word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the give link. Thank you.